Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. A very good Monday morning to you as uh, we welcome you along uh, to the programme. We've got John Paul taking your calls this morning with texting and WhatsApping available at 0862 103 103. Already a lovely WhatsApp in from a listener saying, Morning Patricia, albeit overcast and wet, just asking, has anybody else noticed that daffodils are starting to come up already? And uh, this uh, Jill has sent on a picture with her WhatsApp and you can clearly see the daffodils coming up through the ground and I mean certainly last week when it was so cold even though daffodils all those bulbs they're so resilient even in the cold weather they'll still manage to stick their heads up above the grounds and Jill's sending on a picture of a lot of clusters of daffodils so she'll have a bloom of gold in her garden for sure has anybody else noticed that has anybody else been eagle eyed like our Jill and spotted that daffodils are already above the ground and today of course is the first day for return to remote learning for all of our pupils for primary and uh, secondary. Interested to hear from families. How are your children getting on? Are you back to the home home teaching? Have the schools learned a lot? Because we had from March right through to June with remote learning. And at the beginning, it was a little bit hit and miss because it was new for everybody. Everybody was trying to work out how learning online was, what, what it was going to be like and what this remote learning was going to be like. But I'm assuming now, second time round, everyone is a bit better with it. Have you noticed any difference from your school? Have you been contacted from your school? How are your children getting on? Are there Zoom classes going on? I, I take it a lot of the schools now are doing Zoom class. I know there is a little bit of a digital divide with all of this because you'll have some areas who will have good broadband versus other areas who won't have good broadband and those children will lose out. But I really am interested to hear from parents. Do you feel it's very different? I know we're only into the first hour of it, but have you already had had contact with the school and how are the children getting on? Share your thoughts uh, with us. We will focus on special education on the programme in a couple of minutes. I'm going to be speaking with Adam Harris of As I Am, the autism uh, charity. And uh, we, of course, know there's meetings going on later on today with uh, Norma Foley. Uh, she's under renewed pressure to reopen schools for children with uh, additional needs. And last week, there was this wonderful sense of optimism and great hope for the parents of special needs children when the news came through that along with the Leaving Cert students, the children in special schools, I think there's about 18,000 of them, would be returning to school today. And the sense of joy 
and hope on behalf of those parents. And then, of course, within, I think, was it 24 hours, the rug literally was pulled out from under under them. And I was listening, we had some of the parents uh, speak with us uh, last Friday on the programme just about how difficult it is for families of children with special needs and how difficult it is for those children when their routine and their education, and it's more than just their education, but when their school is taken away from them because there's all the other therapies that go with it, occupational therapy, speech and language therapy, physiotherapy, and just the whole socialisation that special needs kids need much more than children who go to mainstream, you know, who have their little friends outside of school. Children with special needs can find it very difficult to have children outside of school. So, you know, they they need to go to school even just for the socialisation side of it. And it was... What was joyous when the announcement was made that special needs kids were going to go to school, I felt from parents was that for once... Parents of families with a special needs child felt that they were being singled out for something special. They were being told, yes, we do care about you. As a society, we care about you. The department cares about you. The minister cares about you. And therefore, while the other children will be at home doing remote learning, your children are going to go into school and their schools are going to open. And for for so long, parents with a special needs child always feel that they're the bottom of the pile. And for once, just for one day, they weren't in the bottom of the pile. They were the top of the pile, along with the Leaving Cert students. And that was just taken away from them. And I think that made the announcement and the decision even worse. It, if they had never been told that their children were going to go to school, they would have been asked, it's the same as always, we're the same as everybody else. But to have that sense of hope given to them and then so cruelly, and it was so cruelly, uh, taken away from them. And I was listening, I don't know if many people were listening to Joe Duffy on, on Friday, who, who's Phil full programme was dedicated to families and I'd say he could have done that programme hour after hour after hour the amount of parents who wanted to come on and share their stories and it's very hard for parents to go public and have to speak about their children and have to talk about what happens behind closed doors because a lot of the very challenging behaviour does go on behind closed doors so society mightn't realise even neighbours living next door to a child to a special needs child might not realise just how difficult it is for that child to be at home without uh, schooling. So it is very difficult and I know we've had some really heartfelt emails in from uh, parents who you know have allowed us to read out the emails but they even it even took a lot for them to write the emails it's it's I, I, embarrassed is probably the wrong word but none of them parents don't want to have to openly talk about their children's challenging behaviour they don't openly want to let everybody know just how difficult the world is for their child so it takes very brave parents who do come forward and say this is what's going on in our world and this is what is happening for our child. So as I say, we will speak with Adam Harris of As I Am and wish them nothing but luck as they head head into that meeting this afternoon with the Education Minister, uh, Norma Foley. And of course the weekend again, but more high figures when it comes to COVID-19 cases. And it's shocking to hear that more than 40% of all of the cases of the virus in Ireland have been recorded in the last two weeks. Isn't that, I think that statement in itself is just incredible. More than 45,700 cases were recorded last week alone. The weekend saw the Department of Health notified of a further 17 deaths, that's 17 families 
totally bereft this Monday morning, bringing now the total number of COVID-19 related deaths to 2,344. 87 of those deaths happened just last week alone. The last two days, the department has confirmed almost 12,000 new cases, 4,882 confirmed on Saturday and of course yesterday was 6,888. Really, really um, just shocking figures. And of course the big worry now is the number of people hospitalised with COVID-19 this week. It's likely to reach double the number seen at the peak of the first wave of the pandemic and we never thought we'd see anything as bad as the first wave because we weren't prepared for it and people said it came out of the blue and so many people ended up in the hospital and we learned so much from the first wave that we never thought we would see a situation where it is looking like we will have double those numbers by the end of this week. The health service is set to come under increasing strain in the early part of this week as the numbers requiring inpatient treatment has given rise for concern and it seems the people that are being admitted to hospital are the people who contracted COVID-19 on sort of Christmas Eve, Christmas Day and Stevens's Day and they are now becoming so unwell that it is from today onwards that they're going to need to go to a hospital. There has been a hundred extra hospital people went to hospital in the last 24 previous 24 hours uh, earlier this week. Uh, we this is what Paul Reid is saying early this week we are likely to be at double where we were at the uh, peak he said a surge agreement reached with private hospitals to access beds and give further capacity for patients that's already been triggered because it seems private hospitals are already taking some urgent care non-COVID care and support they're already doing that at the moment so I think we are in for a very very bleak week indeed and of course the question on everyone's lips is why are we not vaccinating more? Already seeing texts and WhatsApps in from people saying, Larry in particular, asking the question, why are we not vaccinating uh, quicker? I read this over the weekend that we rank Ireland, we rank 33rd out of the 43 countries in the world where COVID vaccination statistics are available. We have, uh, this was up to the weekend now, there did seem to be more vaccinations given out at the weekend, but up to the start of the weekend, 0.08% of our population have been uh, vaccinated. This puts us in 20th place in terms of the 27 members of the EU states. Looking then at the global statistics, 43 countries have started vaccinations that are giving out statistics. Israel are top of the pile, but that does exclude uh, Palestine. They uh, have nearly 16% of their population vaccinated at this stage. Scotland are in fourth place, 1.69%. Northern Ireland are in fifth. They're doing well, 1.64%. The US is in sixth place and England is in eighth. And in that list, we are 33rd. Bearing in mind that we are currently experiencing one of the fastest growths in new affections uh, per 100,000 anywhere in the world. So, you know, with those kind of figures, is it not now more important than ever that full focus is put on the rollout of the vaccine and get it out to people as quickly as possible? And then I was reading in the Sunday Independent that some doctors in some of our hospitals are worried that they're being overlooked for the COVID-19 vaccinations during the initial rollout phase. Wait for this in favour of admin and management staff. Now, according to the Sunday Independent yesterday, an internal HSE data showed a hospital here in Cork 
doesn't say which hospital, vaccinated six times more management and background staff than doctors in the first week of the vaccine uh, rollout. I mean, that is truly shocking. As I say, I don't know which hospital it is here in Cork. And then I know there was a bit of a debacle for Mallow General Hospital who were, had their staff all ready to roll. They were led to believe that they were going to, at the weekend, get between 400 and 500 vaccines. They had their staff ready. They realised that they had more vaccines than staff to vaccinate because obviously anyone who has COVID or anyone who's self-isolating can't be given the vaccine. So what they did was they reached out to public health workers and doctors in the area and said, do you want to come on, come roll on by to Mallow General Hospital. We'll have vaccines available. So they were all ready to go. And then on Friday, they get an email to go, oh, no, you're not getting the vaccines this weekend at all, which is just truly shocking. We're looking into that to find out what's what is happening and when Mallow General Hospital now will expect to get it. So, you know, while, yes, there seem to be a lot of people, certainly all over social media, there seem to be a lot of nurses with their sleeves rolled up and, and people saying so happy to get get their vaccines but it just doesn't seem to be uh, quick enough bearing in mind that we have one we are now one of the fastest growths in new infections anywhere in the world as we discussed on this program last friday many families with special needs children were bitterly disappointed and upset when the decision was made to switch to online learning for special needs schools from today adam harris is ceo of as i am ireland's national autism charity and adam joins me this morning good morning to adam Good morning, Patricia. Thanks for having me. Well, you're very welcome to the programme. Firstly, had there been a sense of relief when the earlier decision to allow special needs schools to open uh, was announced? Was there a sense of relief on behalf of many families that you would have been interacting with? An enormous sense of relief, not just because it meant that children could continue to learn who were unable to learn remotely, but it meant that children didn't have to suffer in the way that they suffered during the last school closure period in 2020 we would have seen children really, really lose key skills during that period of time. Many autistic people and people with other additional needs aren't able to learn remotely. Uh, the concept is too difficult to understand. The environment isn't supportive. And as a result, what we saw is 61% of autistic children lose key skills. And that ranged from things like personal care to the ability to communicate with other people, to socialising, to managing stress. And, you know, what's important to understand is these aren't just skills. You know, this is, we're not talking about algebra and Shakespeare here. We're talking about skills that actually have an impact on a child's quality of life into the future. Most children might be able to miss a couple of weeks school, move online for a couple of weeks. For our children, it's actually about developmentally um, being affected and losing key skills. And that has had an enormous impact. So our families thought they would have an opportunity to avoid that. And we're obviously completely shocked at the sudden U-turn announcement, but also the lack of a plan in place to provide support uh, in the interim. So there's 18,000 children waking up across Ireland this morning who aren't able to learn today and who have no provision in place to support them today. And the one thing that families were saying to us when the news broke on Friday, Adam, was that that sense of hope that they had and that their children, you know, were going to return to school was just so cruelly taken away with the U-turn. I think so. You know, the way I would view it is I remember during the last closure period, you know, nobody saw COVID-19 coming and... People understood that this was something that we all had to pull together and do. If you like, our children pulled on the green jersey. They missed out massively, but they got on with it. But I think families really find unforgivable this time, and that's 10 months ago. And in those 10 months, we've seen the damage and the impact this has caused children with the greatest level of need in our country. But also they've seen that stakeholders in the department haven't got a plan together, haven't engaged, 
And there's a certain sense of, you know, I heard a lot of adults engaging in blame games uh, in the latter half of last week about why we are where we are today. But I think that's of no interest to our families. It's about how are these adults going to get together and put something in place for children who need it the most. And before the announcement last week and then the subsequent U-turn, had you, your group, for example, been in any discussions with the Department of Education? So we've had ongoing uh, communication with Minister Josepha Madigan, the Minister for Special Education, who has been supportive of us. And one of the big issues that we would have been raising right up until this U-turn last week is, of course, one of the positive things in this country now is the majority of children with additional needs now attend mainstream schools. So 63% of autistic children are in their mainstream classroom like any other child, but are still experiencing great difficulty. And at no stage has a plan been put forward to support those children, uh, despite it being in place in many other European jurisdictions. But what I think is very disappointing is we have consistently tried up until today to engage with the Minister Foley directly on this issue. Obviously, ultimately, the issues of schools remaining open and closed are a matter for her. Ultimately, relationships between stakeholders are a matter for her. And we haven't had um, very good engagement up until today. I think it's welcome that we're now being brought to the table. What I would have been very uncomfortable with last week was that we had lots of stakeholders, lots of people with no lived experience with disability, talking about disability, negotiating what should be put in place for these children, whereas the voices of those children and their families was absent from the table. So I think it's welcome that ourselves and Down Syndrome Ireland and Inclusion Ireland and Family Carers Ireland are meeting the Minister this morning. But I think what we need to be very clear on is that in every single discussion now about how we fix this mess, children with disabilities must have their voices heard. Yeah, because we know that the teachers' unions met with the minister and, and whatever they said at that meeting caused the, uh, the U-turn. Would you have preferred to have been in on those discussions? I think so, because I think what we need to be looking at today is everyone, it's very easy for people to tell us what we can't do. When, I, when I'm interested in what can we do, and I think we need to be solution-focused. I think last week has now happened, and I think we need to move beyond that and say, how can we get together to make sure that schools are open for these children on the 18th of January? That's my ask today. And in the meantime, what I want to know is how will these young people be supported? At the end of the day, this isn't about charity. Uh, the Supreme Court of this country has ruled students with additional needs have a right to an appropriate education. It's been proven that remote learning is not an appropriate education for these children. So it's incumbent upon everyone involved in the education system, not least the minister now, to find a solution to make sure these children don't go on support at this week. And if it's the case that teachers and SNAs are nervous about returning to special uh, education for fear of picking up uh, COVID-19, are there any plans, Adam, to vaccinate that group? So, you know, I think one of the things to, to say in relation to that is obviously vaccination is something that's decided based on evidence and based on priority. And I think, you know, we all have groups that we would like to see prioritised for the vaccine. I think one of the, char- the challenges is that every time you su- somebody suggests a particular group should be prioritised, we do need to be mindful we're suggesting that another group should be deprioritized. There's no doubt vaccination should happen as quickly as possible. And I think any safety concerns that unions are raising should be listened to. What I do also think, though, is we need to remind ourselves of the fact of the issue. Public health advice this morning allows special schools and classes to open. If you get in your car this morning and drive over the border, we have special classes and schools open in Northern Ireland. These settings have been open across Europe. Some countries, even countries like Italy, never closed their special class and school settings. So I think we need to be credible in terms of, of course, recognising the risks, of course, providing whatever support is needed, but also recognising that Ireland is a complete outlier. Every other European country has recognised that this is a priority. I mean, if we can say things like factories, pharmacies, grocery stores are essential, 
surely providing for the needs of the great uh, those of the greatest level of need in this country is also an essential service by any standard. Okay, Helen, one of our listeners, is an SNA. She would be nervous about going back into school, so she's obviously welcoming the decision that her special needs unit where she works isn't open. And she was saying, how could you expect her to go in uh, when there's so much COVID-19 out and everyone has been told to work from home? I think one of the things as well to just say today that I think listeners need to be aware of is disability day services are open today. For the first time, they weren't open in the last closure period, they're open today. So in fact, the, the cohort of young people that attend special schools and classes, many of those that attend disability day services, they're open today. Um, it seems quite bizarre that we recognise that these these people need to be provided for and need, these, need this support in adulthood, but that people who are children who are even more vulnerable don't need that support. Yeah, and we forget that what what goes with schooling, there's the, you know, we had a mother last week talking about, you know, how her son desperately misses um, and needs uh, OT and somebody else needs speech and language. All of those therapies have all stopped. They have all stopped. And, you know, even for the majority of children with disabilities, unfortunately, services are often non-existent. And there's a reality that very often the only paltry support that these students and young people receive comes from the education system. So in closing schools, we're actually shutting down the entire support and investment that the state provides. And again, just to emphasize, it's really important to recognize that while some children with additional needs, some children with additional needs in mainstream can learn remotely, it is very, very clear that the young people who attend special classes in schools for the most part are unable to learn remotely. And we need to really, really accept this. You know, last week there seemed to be some who were trying to suggest that, well, we can provide online and that could be fine. All the evidence shows it didn't work and it did an awful lot of damage. Okay, so what's, what, what are you hoping to get out of your meeting today with uh, Minister Norma Foley? So first and foremost, I want a commitment that children with additional needs are the number one priority to return to school. I think part of the reason we are where we are is the department tried to prioritise or put on the same footing academic assessments, in other words, the leaving cert as these children. I think we need to recognise that there's some things that are much more important than exams and our number one priority must be getting these children back into the classroom. I'd like to have that happen on the 18th of January. More generally, what we're looking for is a range of support. So we're recognising that there's some young people who, even when special classes and schools reopen, they might be children in mainstream who have additional needs or maybe because of their own medical condition, uh, they're, they're cocooning at the moment. So what we want to see is a range of support, and that needs to include things, for example, like expert advice being available to parents and teachers. It also needs to include in-person support. You know, one thing that was very positive, was, and I think it's something that we should all keep in mind, you know, is during the summer, all the stakeholders came together, the teachers, the SNAs, the Department of Education, the Department of Children, and they put on the summer provision program. And this program enabled children, either in school or at home, to access tuition time and support. It also provided a much-needed respite for families. I think they're the sort of solutions we need to be looking at. How can we all come together to put in place something that will provide support that will meet the needs of the broadest cohort of children possible? Okay, well done. Well done. Listen, good luck in that meeting. You're a fantastic advocate uh, on behalf of children with uh, special needs and we wish you luck with it, Adam, and thank you for joining us today. Appreciate it, Patricia. Good morning. Bye-bye, bye-bye. That is uh, Adam Harris, CEO of As I Am, which is Ireland's national autism uh, charity. And a listener says, Patricia, can I compliment Clarew National School? The teachers and the resource teachers are amazing with email contact video 
with email contact videos with explanations. The resource team is amazing. Our son is, has ASD and they've sent videos from his SNA reminding him of strategies they had learned resource lessons etc. He took weeks to settle down after the last lockdown but they are trying to do everything to keep him involved. He actually woke this morning uh, very positive and ready to start with all the help. Well done to Clarou First Class and the resource team there. Yeah, I mean you will have some schools who will go above and beyond uh, for sure. Good luck to your son. But then we had another texter on to us, Liam. His son is in secondary school. He's been sitting at his laptop since 9am. No communication to him or to the parents from the school. Only two of his teachers have confirmed there will be some form of online classes today. Where are, Liam says, where are the teachers unions, the ASTI and the TUI now? And here's the young lad sitting perched in front of his laptop waiting to see. But you think that the schools haven't even made contact uh, with parents at uh, this particular school. 1850 John Paul, taking your calls. If you want to text or WhatsApp, you can to 0862 103 103. Cork today on C103. With McCroom Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See McCroom Motors. A record number of positive cases of COVID-19 were reported last week and even at the weekend yesterday, 862 COVID-19 cases were reported here in Cork, bringing the total number of people diagnosed with the virus in the county in the past fortnight to 7,278. Cork GP and former Lord Mayor John Sheehan uh, joins me. Good morning to you, John. Morning, Patricia. Uh, And and you're welcome to the programme. I take it you're not surprised surprised when you see those high level of figures. What, what are GPs seeing on the ground? Yes, it, it, it's a huge uh, contrast to the summer, Patricia, where we just had this massive wave over the last uh, couple of weeks of positive cases. And I think it's quite different to March, April, where a lot of the outbreaks were unfortunately confined to nursing homes and meat plants and very sort of uh, specific settings. Now I think we're in the situation where everybody and all your listeners know someone who has it or has been in contact with it. Um, so it's very, it's become very real for so many people, unfortunately. And really, everyone we saw in the last week or two, there was a story, you know, my sister was down from Dublin, my cousin, we met him before Christmas, and he's turned positive, and now we have symptoms. The other two big differences we're seeing, Patricia, are, one, the age group that are getting it seems to be much younger, and two, it seems to be much more infectious than it was in March and April. So it seems to spread very, very easily, and that seems to be consistent with the UK strain slowly um, becoming more prevalent here. And we're at that stage where, you know, we're not at the vaccine stage where the vaccine has had a significant impact yet. Um, it's still very infectious and the numbers are very high. And unfortunately, that's been reflected in the fact that we've over 1,500 patients in hospital with COVID at the moment and over 130 in ICU. And that's the real worry because it's expected that those numbers will continue probably for the next probably week and start, slowly start going down. And then we're beginning to see a bit of good news, Patricia, in the sense that one, the vaccine is slowly starting to roll out or we'd like it done faster. But two, also the number of people who are calling both my practice and other practices seems to be leveling off because we're two weeks post Christmas now. So really that sort of contact where people were, you know, 
meeting more people before Christmas. Um, that's beginning to work its way out now. And really, I think I think in the last couple of weeks, people have been very, very good. Um, and so the number of contacts has gone way down and that's beginning to have an effect. And is that your message to people? Just stay at home and limit your contacts. It absolutely is. The, the single biggest thing that will make a difference for this is reducing your contacts and then the hand washing, the social distance and the masking. And I know people are tired of it and they're fed up of it. But when you think about it, this virus gets in through your eyes, your nose and your mouth. And that's how it gets in. So anything that you can do to reduce your hands going to your mouth, your hands picking it up and spreading it to your mouth, wearing the mask so that you don't breathe it in, they're the things that will make, uh, make a difference. And they've made a difference before. You know, we've been here, unfortunately, before where we've had to bring in all these measures and they have made a big impact. The difference this time, I think, is it's more infectious than it was the last time. It's not any more severe when people get it, but it certainly is uh, more infectious. Are you worried about the hospitals, particularly for this week, John? I am. I think this week is really going to be a, a challenge for them um, because what we see with a lot of our patients um, is that they get it. Most of them are fine. Some of them are about, you know, four or five days into it and they really start going downhill. So when you see big numbers like that, you're thinking in four or five days' time, how many of them are going to have to be admitted and then how many of them are going to have to go to ICU? And that's the the problem and the concern. I think, did I read CUH has the most COVID cases? Yes. Yeah, you're dead right. And it's really struggling wow. to, to cope with the, the you know, the and, and the numbers. I unfortunately, on, on, on Friday, I know as you speak to on Friday, but I had to send a patient into the hospital who was nearly about to go on a ventilator. He went down that quickly. And it, it's quite it's, it's quite upsetting to see for, for, for the patient, but also for their family, because you're saying to the family, when this patient goes into hospital, you have to say goodbye when the ambulance comes because you mightn't see them again. You mightn't get into hospital. And that's incredibly upsetting for, you know, for our families. And for the patient, it's dreadful. It, it is, is. It really it is. is yeah. You mentioned the vaccines. Firstly, have you been vaccinated, John? I have. I got vaccinated on Thursday. Um, I work in the, the hub, which is um, a centre there in the, in the grounds of the old orthopaedic in Cork, which is um, basically it's used for assessing people who have covid so that you can avoid them having to go to hospital. So they were vaccinating um, people who worked in there on Thursday, and I was very glad to get the vaccine. I'll get another one in three weeks. And they are beginning to roll it out to the, the healthcare workers, the hospital staff. They are starting the nursing homes now. I, I, I certainly feel we, we, we need to get it out as quickly as we can, because I think that's the thing that's going to be a game changer in all of this. Have you any understanding of why we're so slow? I mean, I read over the weekend we are 33rd out of the 43 countries uh, who are giving COVID vaccine statistics. Why are we so slow with the rollout? It it, it is very frustrating. Part of it was due to availability. Part of it was getting, I think, all the logistics and the IT systems and training the vaccinators and all that. But I think we should be faster. Um, You know, you, you, you see some other countries that have really, really ramped it up. And I know there's, with the Pfizer vaccine, there's limitations because of the, the the timing that it can be given and the cold storage and things like that. But really, we should be faster. We should be just grabbing this and, you know, getting on with it. Um, I was vaccinated in the South Infirmary, Victoria Hospital, and they have been absolutely fantastic. They, you know, they arrange for all, you know, a lot of healthcare workers, GPs and things. They have clinics on Saturday, Sunday, starting at 8 o'clock. They vaccinated people all, all, all the way through the day. And 
people, you know, colleagues and colleagues have said to me, you know, the atmosphere there, people were so grateful. They were so grateful that people were just getting on with it. And I think we just need more of that attitude. I mean, yeah, people yeah. are keen to get on with it. People have no trouble coming in Saturday, Sunday, working any time, you know, to do that. And I think we just need a lot more of that. You know, I know there was huge frustration in Mallow, um, you know, at the delays and getting the vaccine. And, and I think that's been sorted now. But we just need to get on and start doing it. We have two vaccines approved now for use here. I mean, that's the beacon of light, isn't it? It really is, yeah, and and also hopefully the the AstraZeneca Oxford vaccine will be approved soon, and that will, you know, because that in terms of storage and transport, that's quite like the flu vaccine; it can just be held in the fridge. So that will again speed it up because the more vaccines you have, the better. Then you can start giving it out to practices, pharmacies, so that they can start giving it out, and really we can start ratcheting uh, ratcheting this up. I was encouraged to hear Paul Reed. Um, and Colin Henry say, you know, that although it's slowly starting, they're hoping to ratchet it up significantly over the next couple of weeks because it needs to be done. We, can, you know, we need to get on top of this in the next couple of months, otherwise the whole system. A listener wants to know: Does John know uh, are home helps getting the vaccine? They certainly are, but there's a whole criteria. There's a, a list of sixteen sort of different groups, but starting first of all with nursing home um, residents um, home health are on that list off the top of my head. I don't know where they are on that list, but certainly they, they, they will be near the top. Um, they, they, the, the, the plan is to start vaccinating everyone. The UK took an approach of um, nursing homes, frontline workers, and then they did it age-wise, you know, over 85, over 80, over 75, over, which was very attractive because it was quite straightforward. Here they've taken a slightly different approach. They have a list of uh, of workers, and it's more high risk and uh, mixed in with, with with age group that they're working down. But I know home home have certainly on that because they have to be. They're going around to different people's homes. If they caught it, first of all, they provide. It's, they are the single biggest healthcare intervention that improves the quality of people's lives, Patricia, home health. It's not high tech stuff. It's not. They absolutely make a massive difference. And they need, because one, if they go out, there's so many people dependent on them, but also they don't want to be transferring and putting people at risk going from going from person to person. So I know they're higher, higher up on the list, but I just don't know where. And by the way, when, when I asked you at the start about, you know, the surging cause that GPs are, are seeing, are, are people slow to contact their GP about a non-COVID-related illness? They are, but they're getting better. Uh, in March, we noticed it much worse because um, everything really, really shut down. Now, um, I know people have kind of got used to living with COVID, so they are getting better at ringing, and we're encouraging people um, to ring because we're still seeing patients. We're triaging people before, but, you know, if someone has abdominal pain and, you know, a possible appendicitis, you have to see them, you know. Um, so you're, you're still seeing patients, but you're just putting away some of the routine stuff that could, um, that could um, um, you know, be, be, be dealt with at a, uh, at a later stage. OK. All right. Listen, John, we appreciate you taking time out. Uh, to stay safe. Thanks for and uh, thanks for joining us. That is uh, Dr. John Sheehan, also a counsellor and former Lord Mayor. 1850 John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With McCroom Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See McCroomMotors.com. So, you've got a smartphone or tablet. Then, get the must-have app so you can take us everywhere.
Download the C103 app today and listen to your favourite shows on the go. Grab our podcasts and all the latest Cork news. And if you've a smart speaker, ask it to play C103. Play C103. Okay. On your phone. Tablet. Smart speaker. And radio. Turn, turn, turn up the volume. We are C103. Just wondering, are childcare workers going to get the vaccine? They have no choice but to turn up for work uh, every day. Yeah, to a childcare workers are sure are on the list that was brought out by the HSC, but it's just a slow rollout. I mean, we're only today starting with the nursing homes in Cork and there'll be a rollout across this week, but it's going to take many, many weeks to get everybody in the nursing homes and they're the first group to be vaccinated along with the healthcare workers. I just think that's the one thing that every but he wants speed up the vaccine, uh, uh, the vaccination programme, please, especially when we have such high figures in this country. 1850 333 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. We're going to take a break. We have news at 11 on the way. We'll get uh, many of your comments coming into the programme, but we're also going to be discussing the fishing industry and Brexit, uh, which fishermen are saying the chaotic first week. We'll find out about that and more in the next hour. Court today on C103 with McCroom Motors leading the way for Toyota hybrids the place to order your 211 Toyota see McCroomMotors.com You're listening to Cork Today on Replay phone and text lines are currently closed now, in the last hour when I was speaking with Adam Harris of As I, ha- As I Am about the fact that special needs schools have remained closed today, even though for a brief period in time it looked like that they would open. Helen uh, was an SNA and she wanted to ask uh, Adam Harris, why was it fair for her as an SNA to go into a special needs school when the rest of society were told to uh, stay at home? And Eileen is, uh, I don't know whether Eileen is an SNA or knows somebody who's an SNA, but obviously is going along Helen's lines because she says Patricia I'm finding it hard to reconcile your two interviews this morning. Firstly you've Adam Harris pushing for the return for special needs classes and then you have a doctor on saying stay at home and CUH is struggling to deal with COVID cases. A lot of SNAs says Eileen have underlying health conditions and wouldn't stand a chance of not contracting COVID in its present variant says uh, Eileen. I think we were talking about two different things when we were talking about Adam Harris looking for a return to special needs school and then Dr John Sheehan saying stay at home. He's saying stay at home for those people who can stay at home, those people whose jobs are not out, that you can't physically do the job from home. That's the message that has come from all of the health uh, experts. But obviously SNAs, if especially schools will open, would have to return. You can't physically do that. You've got to be in the school setting. If there are, you know, you say a lot, I don't know what the numbers are, but if there are SNAs with underlying health conditions, are those people cocooning? Are they staying completely out of society to stop them, as you say, contracting the COVID in its present uh, variant? Because if they are, and schools did reopen, then surely they could get a letter from their doctor saying that they're cocooning because of an underlying uh, health condition. So I don't think you can say a lot of SNAs. There are many SNAs and many SNAs I saw online at the weekend who were saying they would love to return to class and they know how the young people who they've developed relationships with because you remember when a, when a child goes into a special needs school they stay in that special needs school up to the age of 18 it's very different to mainstream so some SNAs have been with the same child year after year after year and have worked so hard to bring on that child that there are 
also a lot of SNAs, Eileen, who do want to be back inside in the classroom. And then another listener says, Patricia, good job, Helen, who was the initial SNA who contacted us, is not a nurse. Uh, she'd have to go to work then, wouldn't she? Uh, this listener says, nobody has a problem with anyone who does not feel safe going into work or to school, but the option should be there for both parents and students and staff. Personally, I see no harm in a special needs child going into a classroom where there are six, maybe eight in his or her classroom, because in in special needs, the groupings are much uh, smaller, even if they reduced it to two, maybe three pupils a couple of times a week. By the way, says this texter, thank you for highlighting special needs uh, education. We are very uh, grateful. And then somebody else says, good morning, uh, Patricia. If Helen feels and other SNAs feel they feel that they're not safe in school, no problem, don't go in. But would they go on a pop payment instead and stay at home? No, they will want to stay on their full pay. Hi, Patricia, the government have never mentioned special needs children in mainstream schools. Special needs kids need routine. I have a special needs son at home and I'm going to have to spend the day fighting. It'll go on all day long. How am I meant to do one-on-one with my son while I've got other children in the house? They need peace and quiet in order to do their schoolwork. It is a joke. And there are many, many people will be in that very same situation uh, this morning. Uh, thank you for your calls and texts, 1850-333-103. On private hospitals, a text says, Patricia, another agreement has been finalised with the private hospitals to provide extra capacity for the next 12 months. Millions of euro of public funds were allocated to secure beds in the private hospital during the first phase and during the first lockdown. But there doesn't appear to be any accurate documentation available as to the occupancy of patients treated under that agreement. Some of the private hospitals didn't treat any patients during those three months. To ensure that there's more transparency this time round, I suggest the authorities should be releasing daily figures of public cases public patients being treated in a private setting. What a great idea that would be. I know the arrangement this time round is very different to the first one because I think it's in years to come when we look back on this pandemic and it will all come out what we did right and what we did wrong. And I think on a cost point of view, the taking over of the private hospitals is one of the ones that they're going to say was a mistake at the time. But then in their defence, they thought that they, we were going to see surges like we, were, like we were seeing in Italy at the time. And God knows what we could be seeing now when you look at how under pressure our hospitals are. But certainly they've gone into an arrangement with private hospitals. But it is very, very different to the first time at round for sure. 1850 Hi Patricia, how come how can three factories in the North Cork area be open but I as a painter am closed. It simply is not uh, fair. Hi Patricia, this is from Mick. Not surprised what happened in Mallow Hospital. If the HSE had their way, Mallow Hospital would would be closed and that was with Mallow Hospital expecting to get the vaccine on, on they thought they were getting it at the weekend to discover on Friday even though it's looking like it's happening today. We're, trying, we're still trying to get confirmation on that but yeah, very very disappointing though to the staff at the hospital and all of the other 
healthcare workers across the North Cork area that they had invited in so as not to waste the vaccines to make sure that everyone who needed a vaccine could get one. And Anne says, good morning Patricia. Lots of talk about the Oxford vaccine but Anne is questioning what is the effectiveness rate of the Oxford vaccine? Is it 90% effective like the Pfizer one? Also, will we still have to wear face masks for a while after receiving vaccines? Okay, the Oxford vaccine which by the way hasn't been given approval yet by the European Medicine Board. So far, we have the Pfizer one, which which we're giving out at the moment. And last week, then the Moderna vaccine, which is very similar to the Pfizer one, that got the approval of the European Medicines Agency. But the problem with the Moderna one is that's primarily made in the States. So it'll be the second half of the year, I think, before we get large stocks of the Moderna one. The Oxford vaccine then is the one that's already been sanctioned in the UK and they're actually giving, I saw Joan Collins, you know Joan Collins, the actress she's in her 80s, still looking as glamorous as ever. She got the Oxford vaccine actually at the weekend. Now, the, But this, this texture is right. The Oxford vaccine, the effectiveness of it is less. The evidence shows that the initial dose of the Oxford vaccine gives 70% uh, protection against the effects of the virus. But remember, when we were starting to talk about vaccines for the pandemic back in March, and it seemed like they were never going to arrive at one stage, we were looking at if we were in mid-2021 had a vaccine, we would be doing well. And in the early stages, all of the experts were saying, if we could get a vaccine that was 50% effective, that would be good enough to uh, run with. So when the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine came out and showing that they're 95% effective, people were absolutely stunned by that. So when you hear the Oxford vaccine is 70% effective, it is still a really, really good vaccine and will stop you getting uh, COVID-19. The Pfizer one, when you get the first shot, it's 52% effective and then we know 21 days later you receive the second shot and when you get the second dose a week after that it's 95% effective. But the other question that came in on that text, do we still have to, Anne wants to know, do we still have to wear face masks for a while after receiving the vaccine? Yes, absolutely. You still have to do all of the social distancing, the good hand hygiene and the wearing of masks But that's got to do with the fact that you get the vaccine and then if you pick up COVID-19, you're not going to get sick from it. But they still don't know, even though you've been vaccinated, you could be carrying it and could spread it to other people. That's why certainly the wearing of masks and the social distancing and the hand hygiene still remains in place until the general population is vaccinated and we get to what we've been hearing about for quite some time, herd immunity. Once we get there, then we can start, stop, leave the masks off. But certainly we'll be wearing masks for quite uh, some time uh, to come. Okay, just what else is in Stephen Donnelly and Micheál Martin says, Morris Fields has made a mess. Uh, in particular with what happened to Christmas, allowing us all to have a Christmas and now we're all paying the price for it. Bring back Simon and Leo fast. They were way better at handling the job. That is according to Morris. Another listener says, Patricia, would you warn people to be on the lookout for fake calls coming from Tunisia? When you pick up your phone, it looks like a Cork City number. There's just one digit too many when you closely look at it. And of course, some of the smartphones will tell you it's a Tunisia number, but not all mobile phones are smartphones and not all of them will highlight that. And of course, you'll see it and think that it is a Cork uh, number. And Jim says, hi, Patricia, one highlight over the weekend was Vicky Phelan's appearance on the Late Late Show on Friday night. 
What an amazing, inspirational and positive lady she is. And it must be, it must have been so hard for her yesterday, leaving her dad and her sister and her children and knowing that she's in the States for at least six months. Uh, But there's the chance, but that's the chance she's taking to give herself more years to spend with them, hopefully. And she's defied the odds so far in sourcing the Pembroke jug. That's already prolonged her life up to now. Hopefully she'll do it again. I saw on her Instagram account yesterday that she got full VIP treatment and a full Irish breakfast at Dublin Airport before she left. So good to find the time uh, to message and to let people know she was doing okay. I want to wish her all of the best. She's an inspiration to everybody trying to stay alive, especially in these exceptional times, says Jim. Thanks, Jim. That's a really, really good uh, text. And yes, I also... I sat down and watched uh, Vicky Fiel and I was really emotional uh, watching her and and like you thought she was just absolutely inspirational and so much positivity and then actually over the weekend particularly on Saturday night I went to bed thinking of her you know tucking her little fella her her boy is only nine into bed and the way she said she lies in the bed talking to him they have their best chats and I was thinking of her you know knowing that she was tucking him in for the last night and then the the trip to the airport on, on Sunday morning and then having to say goodbye to her dad and and her sister and making that journey and just she's such a brave brave uh, woman as well and let us not forget it's because of the Savital Czech scandal that Vicky Phelan is in this situation and as we speak is now settling in in America and I think the uh, and I know I was tweeting about it at the weekend she has the entire nation behind her you know I I said in, in a tweet if she wants anything just all she needs to do is reach out because I think the all of Ireland will respond and anything we can do to help out that woman I think uh, will be done it was just yeah truly she's truly inspirational and we must all now continue to keep her in our thoughts and in her in her prayers and Rose and the gang in Taris Jock charity shop in Dunmanway were on as well to say spare a thought please for Vicky Phelan for what she is doing at the moment we are all thinking of her today yeah and we will continue to think of her so thank you for people who have taken time out uh, to remember and think of the wonderful Vicky Phelan. And when I mentioned daffodils earlier this morning because it was one of my first WhatsApps were in somebody spotted daffodils just beginning to shoot up out through the ground in her garden. Margaret was on to say at Furville near Mallow the da- daffodils are not just the leaves starting to pop up from under the ground they're in bloom <laughs> Margaret said wonderful to see it brings such positivity yeah we, I, I certainly I, they're one of my favourite flowers uh, daffodils and I love to see them and it means you know spring is here and summer's on the way and God knows this year more than ever we need that kind of positivity and joy in our lives 1850 John Paul continues to take your calls you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs Philip Walsh Refrigeration and Electrical. They have an appre- a vacancy for an apprentice electrician slash refrigeration technician. While construction general operative is wanted for sites mainly in South Cork, general farm workers and relief milkers, they're wanted for County Cork and general operatives are wanted for work at Irish yogurts based in Clonakilty. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities now by going online. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. Court today on C103. With McCroom Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See McCroommotors.com. 
How many people involved in the fishing industry say the Brexit agreement has failed the Irish fishermen? Joining me, Patrick Murphy, CEO of the Irish South and West Irish uh, Fish Producers Organisation. Good morning, Chip Patrick. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well and you're welcome to the programme. Do you feel your industry was hung out to dry in order to get a Brexit agreement over the line? Is there that sense among your industry? Well, it's not a sense. It's a reality. And, and like, if anybody wants to see how I know this, our Taoiseach admitted it. So did our Minister for Foreign Affairs and so did our Minister for, uh, for Agriculture and Fisheries. They said we did. So it's not me saying this. It's the highest level of government in our country told us that we are this artificial land. And they told us what they're going to do and what they're going to do. On the on 9 o'clock news, that evening after a meeting with us, they said, we will have a meeting with you lads and you'd give us your ideas of how we could mitigate the damage here because look, it's after happening and you are the ones that are going to suffer the most. But then that night in the news, Patricia, our worst fears were heightened. And what they said was, we will give you a few bob, right? like we gave you last year, this year, in the well, last year, 2020, when we were in trouble with COVID, to allow your boats to tie up. And while you're tied up, we'll work on a system to exterminate you permanently, to find a permanent solution, which is getting rid of the boats and fishermen and their jobs. But we're not asking, as a country, for our fishermen to give up something that isn't there. Our waters are full of fish. UK waters are full of fish. We're being asked to trade away our natural resource. Our, this belongs to everybody. It's not just fishermen. Like this is future generations of wealth that we're just passing on to somebody else to get a deal for Europe. And we're getting nothing out of it. And God knows we did it with the sugar industry. Uh, and, yeah. and it's like we, we have learned nothing. You described the last week as chaotic. T- tell Absolutely. me about what happened last week. Well, you see... So we understood that this deal would at least give us access into Irish from Irish boats into UK waters. That didn't even happen. We see this week that around Rockall, a very important place where we go to fish, we're told you can't go fishing there. No, I don't want to dazzle the, the, the listener and I'm hoping they will get involved in all the other topics because this affects everybody. I am from West Cork and I've seen in my lifetime our local towns and villages being decimated and employment and shops closing. And one of the starting points that I saw from that because I was involved in it is our fishing industry. And we've lost so many boats and people and jobs. It's led to school closures in different areas around the coast. Cookhaven, and Lissa Griffin, where my son went to school. These schools are closed. But there was fishing industries. There was 200 people working in Skull at one time inside in the fish factory on top of the pier. That was 200 families. There was the lobster pond in Goline that boats used to come in and collect fish. All these things are taken away, and we seem to forget the importance of what this is for Skibbereen, Bandon. All these towns will be affected because it's a ripple effect. So when do we say stop? Not because it's not there or we're not entitled to it, because what has happened here, folks, is that the English people said, listen, the fish are in our waters. We deserve more. And the UK put that up to the European Parliament. We're leaving now. We want more fish. And the European Parliament and the politicians agreed that you, England was correct. But they're not applying the same equality to Ireland. In fact, we're paying on the double. So we lose our own fish. But the other countries that are catching fish in Irish waters are trading that fish to pay the bill to the UK as well. 
So they're saying, listen, I don't have the fish in my own waters, but you can take the fish to the kitchen Irish waters. I can give you that instead. So we're being absolutely done over here. And all this industry is asking for is for our politicians, genuinely, to go back to Europe and say, listen, what is happening here goes against the principles of the European Union. And what what about the French and the Spanish fishermen? How have they fared out? But should we hear any of them complaining? No. (laughs) There you go. So we have we have one fishery, right? And it's like a rugby score, Patricia. And I know people are listening to this and they're saying, is this really happening? It is. So in the Irish Sea herring, the Irish Sea now, clues in the world, there was two countries sharing a fish called Irish Sea herring, right? Mm. We had around a quarter of it, and the UK, the other country, had three quarters. They're going to get 99% of that now, and we get 1%. So let that sink into people. We get 1% of a shared fishery between the UK. So who's paying the price for the deal? In mackerel, we have fish that spawn in our waters, right? The mackerel start in our waters. They're created here. They swim up into the North Sea, up into Iceland, up to Norway. All those countries get to catch a bit of it, and the UK. And they swim back down to Ireland to start their life again and start the process again. So they're our fish. They start in our waters. According to Uniplast United, Laws of the Sea, these fish should be ours. And we've been savaged. So we have the Dutch and other countries that are coming in that these never see the fish. They have to leave their country to come and catch them in our waters. And we get screwed. Excuse the language. No, and, and did it, did, the, the fact that we don't have a standalone minister for the marine is yeah, did that t-shirt. have an effect? No, we no no we we have a T-shirt. Look, this was a, an international deal. This was twenty-seven countries doing a deal with one other country, and the only one that's been the sacrificial lamb and breaking it down to the one industry is fishing. And in West Cork, where we have the biggest port in the country, right, and um, Castletown Bear where we see 50 lorry loads of fish from other vessels being landed into the backs of trucks and sent to Spain, fish caught inside. They're now going to trade that fish without even catching it to keep fishing in UK waters. I think that's wrong. I hope the listener thinks that's wrong. And like everything we say here, we'd love to have a debate with a minister or anybody else come on side. We'll talk about it in front of them. So if we're getting it wrong, we can be corrected. But trust me, if people think that fishermen, you know, and it's them now, I've been at conferences where our commissioners have told us, your milk production is too much, you have to cut it down. Your farming is too much, you have to cut it down. You're creating too much gases from your cattle. So if people believe that the fishermen is going to stop there, I'm predicting, like I predicted four and a half years that this was going to happen, the same thing will happen. Rural Ireland is on its knees. I'm living in rural Ireland. I see what's happening in front of my eyes. And other people should see the same. And you have an opportunity here to back one industry to say, look, this shouldn't happen. These people deserve better. There's only 164 boats over 60 feet fishing in this country. Think of those figures. And they want to reduce it even more. That's what our Taoiseach said. We will decommission. We will get rid of them. Not set them aside. Get rid of them. Exterminate them. And, and, the, and the knock-on effect of that is it's not, it's not just to the fisherman and his family that they lose their income. It's the significant loss of income into the local communities. So, just to explain that to people, right? The minister said it's 35 million. BIM, 
in the figures that we got said it's 87 million. And that's only this year. That will increase by another 10% of the 15%, so nearly double. So that's 140 million in five years' time. So you can imagine taking 140 million out of the pockets of the first person in Ireland that spends that. He spends that money, that money goes to the next person, and the next person spends it, and the next person spends it. That's how the economy works. You, you, Your money doesn't get spent once it gets We've unfortunately lost uh, Patrick there. Can we get let's see if we can get um, Patrick back on the line just for a couple of minutes, just to just to f- uh, finish off uh, on this uh, on this um, issue? Because I really don't f- think a lot of people realise just how much the fishing sector has been hung out to dry because of Brexit. Brexit went through, there was a kind of a sigh of relief and people said at least they got it over the line. We didn't have a no-deal Brexit. But it does look like, when you read between the lines, it does look like the fishing industry were very much the sacrificial lamb. Sorry, we lost you there, um, uh, Patrick. You were just explaining about how it's local community. It's not just the fisherman who loses out. It's the entire local community. Look, as, as I said, I don't want to be scaremongering. I just look around me I, I, where I started fishing in Baltimore and, and how it, it, the loss of the fishing industry down there has affected it and the local businesses that are there and that have been lost. And look, anybody that visits Baltimore, they can see it only for the tourism and stuff like that that have been brought in there. It'll be a ghost town. And that's the truth. Beautiful area to visit now when you've accessed all the islands and there are other things to do there. So I'm not running down the place, but fishing was an integral part of that community. It was the backbone of that community and that's been taken away. We see what, the same as but what, what about the, the EU common fisheries policy quotas? But you see, this is it. So it was based on historic catch records and what people cost in the 70s and 80s, right? Mm. But they've torn that up, Patricia. So the plan that they used for 40 years, they decided we're not going with that plan anymore. We're going to use the definition of the fisher in your waters for the UK, there go, you should get more. We're not going to go with historic records, which we wanted them to keep because everybody got the same then. But the English said, no, that's not fair. So by the European Union giving in, they actually agreed with them and they said, yeah, yeah, you deserve more fish because the fisher in your waters. But that's the same for Ireland. Yeah, the but the same, yeah, the same wasn't given back to Ireland. Dan and Ballinhasek, uh, if he is listening to Patrick this morning, it's like the banks all over again. We bailed out the banks of other European countries and we seem to be doing the same with the, with the fishing industry. It's not the first time that we have sold out on fisheries. And John says, why are so many boats registered in Skibbereen? All the trawlers seem to be registered in Skibbereen. A general question for Patrick. Yeah, you see, that's where the, the customs house was you know, right, okay. in inventory. So you registered in your port of origin. So Skibreen was where um, the registry was. Because that was that wait, boat that was on the news. That was a, a boat that was registered in Skibreen. It was up yeah, in, yeah. in Nor- it was the first boat to pull into Northern Ireland, wasn't it? That's right, yeah. So that's another guy now. That, that man, he was the boat that I was talking about. That boat was away in Spain for eight months. Two and a half million that man spent on that boat to make sure she was a, a safe vessel to continue to go to sea. So to put that investment in, into your business and then to be told we're going to take away a third of the fish that you were legally allowed to catch, not because the fish aren't there, but we want... 
Okay, the line is going again. We can leave it there. We were we were finishing up. Um, I just, it's just probably a bad signal area that Patrick is in. Again, somebody living in a rural area knows only too well what signals on phones and broadband is like. But there is the fishing industry absolutely decimated by the Brexit agreement. And my thanks to Patrick Murphy, CEO of the Irish Fish and uh, Irish South and West Fish, Fish Producers Organisation. Court today on C103 with McCroom Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See McCroomMotors.com. Across this, the month of January, five nations have teamed up to inspire rural communities to take to the countryside to help to improve their mental health. Flying the flag for Ireland is Aherla farmer Peter Hines, who is also founder of the Agri Mental Health Week. And Peter joins me. Good morning to you, Peter. Good morning, Patricia. Happy New Year. Uh, many happy returns uh, to you, Paul, and the kids. Now, I've been watching you on your social media and it appears to me this is a running challenge. Uh, but can you tell me how it all works? Yeah, uh, look, essentially, you can run or walk. Uh, it's a Five Nations challenge. So Ireland, England, Scotland, Wales and the rest of the world uh, teams, we've all selected a charity to run for. But I think the key thing we were focusing as on was doing something positive and uh, for, for January and getting together as teams and trying to improve our mental health and mental well-being. And uh, it's been inspirational to see so many out. It's, I mean, literally our seven-year-old daughter, she's done two and a half kilometres most days. <laughs> I think she's 24 kilometres covered already this year. So it's you don't have to be uh, a serious runner. Uh, I never actually ran in my life until I started this and... Uh, but it's it's been really enjoyable, and I think they're all such great teams that they really keep each other motivated. And while we while we have to stay apart, it's a way of kind of I suppose every day when you go to a run or a walk, you know there's someone else doing the exact same thing somewhere in Ireland uh, with the same goal in mind or for the same charity. Brilliant, brilliant. And you ask people to keep it in their five k exercise limit. Yeah, look, I mean, we'd be adamant about that, but I think for a lot of people, it's uh, it, it, it's quite easy to stay within the five k zone. And uh, like for myself, there now Saturday, I ran a ten k, so I started from home and I ran. Once I hit five k, I turned, turned around <laughs> and ran back. Well done, well, well done. Are you enjoying the running? Yeah, I think it's been like I, I'm conscious that I'm not a seasoned runner, and uh, I don't run every day like. Yesterday, now I, I walked uh, three kilometres because the legs needed time but, uh, to recover. Likewise, it's something that I've found very positive because you you get your admitted into the Team Ireland uh, when you join up, and you get to see what everyone else is doing. And I think it's uh, when you see so many out active every day. It's uh, me for me personally. It's been huge. I would have never thought I would have run and. I mean, very quickly, I was getting up to 10k, like, so it's uh, it's something very positive to do. But it's just, I think, the fun of doing it as a team. And, uh, and like, yesterday we ran 486 kilometres for the whole team, like, so it's uh, it's just so positive. And it's really it, it's, great. It's, it's, this, it's could just, be, this could become your new passion, yes, Peter. You never know. We could see you <laughs> in years to come, and I'll be talking to you in advance of you doing a marathon. You never, ever know. <laughs> Now, now the the idea is that the it's it's a it's run hashtag run one thousand. Yeah, and the, the original concept was that we would see um, which team could run a thousand miles. Okay, uh, 
big so fast that it is essentially what team can run the furthest distance <laughs> in January. Okay. Uh, and we've set a target of 10,000 kilometres for Team Ireland and uh, look, we're nearly a third of the way there and I think it's uh, we can definitely do it and the fact that somebody can walk or, or run, it's all all adding to the team every day and it's uh, everyone plays their part to, and gets out and about and I think that's probably the most important thing for for any of the team captains is just seeing so many out and about and getting to do something fun and uh, and interesting for the month and uh, keeping the teams motivated to keep going till the end of January is the, the key thing for us now. And there is a fundraising aspect to it. Yeah, uh, so I chose Embrace Farm uh, who support families uh, that have lost loved ones to in farm accidents and also support people that uh, have been injured in farm accidents and they do a lot of great work for, for mental health uh, with, in families and uh, they so I chose I chose those uh, and likewise the other five teams they all chose rural charities uh, at the moment we've nearly four and a half thousand raised by Team Ireland That's brilliant um, That, is, br- and, that uh, is brilliant So people it's agri5nations.com you log on there and sign up is that the idea and, and pay your what is it 20 euro yeah it's 20 euros to join team Ireland so if you go on agri5nations.com forward slash the race if you go onto that website the link to team Ireland is there uh, and you you pay your 20 euros to join team Ireland and the e- that will email you a Strava link to to request to join team Ireland and then when you're on if you, when you're on the Strava app even if you're walking once you set the app in run mode, it will add your miles to Team Ireland because it, it can only add the t- accumulate the mileage in, uh, in in run mode for the team. Uh, but likewise, you can do it in walking. And that's uh, how you're clocking up. At, and you've got you've got on Team Ireland all over the country. All over the country, uh, we have people in Northern Ireland running. Uh, people right across Cork. We've people in Dublin city centre there that are that are running, and uh, a lot of people that go out onto their local sports track, uh, running every day. We've people running at six o'clock in the morning, uh, running on their lunch break, going for a walk in the afternoon. Uh, people taking a dog for the walk at ten o'clock at night, and, uh, and it's all adding up. So it's just it's inspiration to see so many people getting out. And, and we know how important exercise is for on for your mental health. Because only last week I was reading a report on the increase in the numbers of people unfortunately having to take antidepressants. And there's nothing wrong with taking antidepressants, but but there was just a huge increase this year because of the pandemic and because of uh, lockdown. Is mental health a big problem in agriculture in that it's something that isn't always discussed? Yeah, I think, look, there's still a stigma there. Uh, it It is being broken down slowly, but because uh, people are more rural and more isolated, and, and I suppose in rural communities, people know each other more personally, so it is discussed less. But I think... Look, it's by focusing on our mental well-being and getting out, doing exercise, and eating well uh, that really improves our mental mental health in general. And likewise, from from a, a farm accident point of view, it's been clearly proven through research by, that by focusing on improving our mental health and, and our mental well-being, it actually leads to less farm accidents because we're more focused on the job we are working and we give ourselves. Time to clear 
me personally, I mean, look, Patricia, I'll be very honest, come the 27th, 28th of December, I was like, God, I'm just so sick of lockdowns yeah. and uh, after nine, ten months of it. And I dragged myself off the couch on the 30th of uh, December and walked two and a half kilometres because I said, as team captain, I better stop making some <laughs> bit of an effort. And it's it's given me a huge lift. It genuinely, genuinely has. It's kind of like, right, you know, I'm going to get finished early now this afternoon. I'm going to go for a run and I set myself a, a, a target every day. Uh, I'm not racing against anyone. Uh, I'm just doing it for myself and knowing I'm playing a part in the team the whole way. But it's uh, it's about having something to focus on when I suppose there's, there's little else to focus on, unfortunately, mm. at the moment. And, and, uh, and I genuinely do think, you know, it's been... The team is such good, so so good and uh, and so good at motivating each other that we're all looking out for each other and keeping each other going. Um, I know some people might be in the farm to go for a run or a walk every day, and there's a day that you're kind of say, "God, do I really have to do this today?" And someone someone will go and do something funny or whatever in the group, and it's right, yeah, yeah, I'm going. It just out lifts there. you, lifts you, and keeps you going. And how is farming going for you? How's the farm been? Actually, the farm is good. No, it's it's nice to have a few t- a thaw a thaw back after all the frost, and uh, we've a busy month in February with with calving. We've 150 due to calve in February. For wow! Boys, I think uh, this will get me a little bit fitter too for calving. So. <laughs> and Christmas went well. You're in your new home. We are we're in the new house, and it's lovely to have the space and the comfort, and uh, and the girls are looking really really enjoying it, and uh, nice to have a bit more space. So it was nice to have the first Christmas in the new well house. Done. And, uh, well done, well done. Well, be- uh, best wishes to Paul and to the girls and to yourself, and keep running. Thank you very much, and sure you might you might consider doing a, a little <laughs> and walk God, or run. And God, I I could you I could do with it as well. I tell you, listen, look after yourself, Peter. Thanks. Thank you very much. And thanks a million thanks. for joining us. And the same to you. Thanks a million. That is uh, Peter Hines from uh, Aherla. You can check it out if you'd like to get involved. Agri, A-G-R-I, Agri, the number five, fivenations.com. And you click on your team and obviously your team is uh, Ireland with all of the proceeds raised going to uh, the charity um, Embrace. Uh, but the whole part about it, while obviously it's it's raising money for Embrace Farm, which is a fantastic charity, but the whole thing about it is just to get to get rural communities out into the countryside. And if you're in, in, in an urban community, feel free to take part as well. But it's all about improving one's uh, mental health. 1850-333-103 John Paul taking your calls if you want to text or WhatsApp you can to 0862-103-103 I can see some questions already coming in for Annalise keep those coming please because Annalise will join us after half past 12 today so if you have a nutritional question for Annalise Drissel now is your time to contact us some people reacting uh, to my interview with Patrick Mur- Murphy of the Irish South and West Fish Producers Organisation saying what a chaotic week they've had and how the Irish fishermen, the big, big, uh, the biggest loser in the Brexit deal that's seeing EU member states lose 25% of their catch overall. But Ireland stands out as the biggest loser in that Brexit deal. Morning, Patricia. I can't believe 
we are after being sold out to England again. What is wrong uh, with the people we have in charge of this government? We, the people, have had enough of Mihal and uh, Leo. And we need to get rid of them while we still have a country, says this texter. John says, Patricia, it's clear this government is a pure disaster. What a shower. You have Mihal making bad decisions. Norma Foley seems to be asleep at the wheel. And Simon Coveney seems to be hiding under a bed since Brexit has been wrapped up. Haven't they all got lovely CVs? We are all so proud of them rather sarcastically, says John. While Khan says, Patricia, that man, that man was Patrick Murphy, talking about fishermen, has every reason to be worried Minister Coveney will sell them out to get a deal at any cost. He's done it in the past to the dairy farmers. Small dairy farmers have been uh, decimated. Patricia, you can hold on to my name and give it to the minister if he contacts you and he asks for it. That's from Khan in Bantir. And Patricia, it, uh, it's too... We've too many ministers doing too little work. We are a very small population here and my view is that our politicians are useless. They are watching for their own future votes. Like opening up for Christmas in the middle of a pandemic, hoping it would all work when the nature of the virus was shouting loud and clear that it would multiply as it did. Call in the minister over the fishing industry, find out why he isn't doing the job that he was put in by the people to do no more than any other of our TDs to govern they are all doing their best for themselves but it doesn't feel like they're doing the best for this country next time they want a a raise in their pay it's a booing they should get not even a round of applause I feel they're all very selfish 1850 some of your thoughts coming into us this morning keep your comments coming also questions for our nutritional therapist welcomed you can text or whatsapp 0862 103 103 heading to the newsroom for news at 12 midday Court today on C103 with McCroom Motors Leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See McCrewmotors.com. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. I've just seen a, a tweet there uh, during the news at uh, 12 o'clock from Brian Crowley. Remember Brian was the young Leaving Cert student who joined us last week when it looked like students were going to be going into school, Leaving Cert students were going to be going in three days a week uh, and he was talking about how he was nervous about going into school but also uh, we remote learning, blended learning wouldn't work for him. He's in, he goes to Skibbereen uh, Community School but he lives outside of Skibbereen but he's just saying he's, he's broadband, his Wi-Fi is, can be non-existent at times and he's just tweeted that it's 12 o'clock on the first day of online learning and I've already missed four classes due to poor Wi-Fi connection. How am I expected to sit and even search in June with a full month of this uh, ahead? And he's done a screen grab of various times throughout the morning where he literally had no Wi-Fi so he couldn't log on to the online classes. Uh, we certainly have a digital divide when it comes to uh, remote learning. OK, some of your thoughts coming into the programme on the fishing industry that we discussed in the last hour. John says, nobody should be surprised that fishermen have been sold out again. The same thing happened when we joined the EU. People should remember that for every euro we got from the EU, we had given away four euro. Maybe we should consider leaving the EU like the UK has done and take control of our own waters. Oh God, the thought of going through a Brexit uh, jam. Thank you for your thoughts. Stephen says in relation to the fishing situation, we, and he puts it in bold capitals and inverted commas we elect politicians and we 
rarely hold them to account. The politicians started giving away fishing rights when we joined the EEC in return for agricultural grants. Now the fishing industry is on its knees and the agricultural industry isn't too far behind. It's about time we stopped giving away our natural resources and just say no. We'll develop our own resources, our own industry and our own economy. We just need to keep politicians with their own business industry with their own business interests out of these industries and that's from uh, Stephen in Gary Lucas and Anne is saying what is the solution to the problem with the uh, fisheries I think the fishermen want to be able to have access to more of the Irish waters I don't know what the solution is but certainly that's what they are uh, looking for 1850 okay other issues coming into us on vaccines Alan says, morning Patricia, I'm writing a message this morning, very angry at what I'm hearing about the rate of vaccination in a Cork hospital. The management rates themselves so highly that they were vac- they vaccinated themselves at a rate of six to one over the doctors. But that's typical of those people. They believe that the world would not operate without them. But the truth is that they suck society dry in the most horrible way. Uh, not happy to hear that at all, says Alan. There's a lot of people People have to say really, really upset about vaccinations and wondering when are we going to get uh, vaccinated. Uh, OK, a lot of questions coming in for Annalise. Uh, please keep those coming. Patricia, as our government has been discussed on your show today, I would like to know why on earth they are allowing the sale of alcohol in takeouts and in supermarkets to go ahead. Surely alcohol is not an essential and yet it is essential that people can buy it every day. There's a couple of people actually on about alcohol. There was somebody else made a point that I was shocked to see if I can find it. There's so many texts coming in. Um, Oh, here it is. This is okay, and it's tied in with elite sport. Good morning, Patricia. How can elite sports continue? No real move on off license. Local pub offering takeaway pints and cocktails last Saturday. I haven't been out socially since last March, but in reality, it's a two tier rule. Even France are worried now about the South African strain of the virus. We need a proper lockdown with the curfew, and we need the army brought in. That's what what would other people think? Do we need a curfew and have the army out on the streets? So if you you're out on the streets, you could be picked up by the army if uh, you're found to be out on the streets when you don't have an essential reason for uh, be- being there. I'm really surprised to hear that your local pub was offering takeaway pints because we were told that the takeaway pints were gone since last week. So really, really surprised uh, to hear that. And there are, by the way, new regulations around the sale of alcohol that kick in as and from uh, today. The new rules means that supermarkets and off licences are banned from selling cut price alcohol through special deals. Uh, you know, for example, some supermarkets, certainly in the run up to Christmas, were offering, say, six bottles of wine for 40 or 50 or they're not going to be allowed to do that anymore. But then the ironic part is discounts on an individual bottle of wine will be allowed. So it's not making sense. They just can't lump it all together and say, get six bottles of wine for 50 euro. But they could reduce the bottle of wine and charge you eight euro for it and say it was at 16 euro and cut it down to half price. They can do that um, as well. And um, alcohol also cannot be given away for free. So you can't do a buy one, get one free. Uh, And also loyalty points, you know, your points that you get your club cards in your various supermarkets. And I don't know if off licence do those. They're banned as well from today. But no, no move on even 
what was looked like they were heading towards last week, which was reducing the hours that off licences could open. But it certainly doesn't look like there's any move to do that at the moment for sure. 1850 They are questions for Annalise. Keep those coming, please. She'll join us after half past 12 today. Brendan in Mallow says, how come rugby can go ahead to see them all huddled together, steam rising off them, and then all going back to at least 50 different households? Different rules for different people. By the way, I'm a big rugby fan, says Brendan, but he can't understand why some that particular sport is allowed to go ahead. And then a listener says, obviously the listener who texts in saying, get rid of me Hall and uh, bring back Leo and Simon. Uh, obviously they are Fine Gael supporters. The only reason that Leo and Simon had it under control is that it was the beginning of the epidemic and nobody really knew what to accept, expect. Now, What's happened is people don't care. Complacency has set in. In our small West Cork town, there were several unnecessary parties and the amount of people that spread the virus was absolutely disgraceful uh, with regards for no one. And some of them didn't even bother restricting their movements. They were continued out walking, etc. It's disgusted most ordinary people of the town. Shame. And actually when John Paul was with us on Friday going through the figures because, you know, Thursday evening, the local election areas come out and we find out every Thursday what are the figures like in the different areas I was really taken aback to see how high the figures were in West Cork because every Friday when I'd been doing that over a number of months with John Paul we'd been highlighting the fact that the numbers in West Cork were so low and how well West Cork were doing and then suddenly Christmas happened and there's an explosion of the virus across West Cork which is really really unfortunate for people who have done their really level best in West Cork and indeed everywhere you know people who have been cocooning people who have been abiding by all of the rules and regulations and the restrictions and not you know moving when it was a two kilometre rule not moving a half a kilometre beyond their two kilometres sticking to the five kilometre rule only going out when it's essential and then to see people who've got this kind of don't care attitude it, it really is shocking and I can understand why people are so disgusted and annoyed and upset by it. Hi Patricia I was listening to a principal on the TV last week she said she couldn't go to work because she, this is if they, they open schools because she would have no one to mind her children. Well can I tell you I can't go to work today because I have no one to mind my children because they're not in school. Guess what? I won't be getting paid because I haven't turned up for work. It isn't the same for teachers. And staying on education. Hi Patricia. I have two children in secondary school in Dunmanway. One for leaving cert and one for junior cert. Oh my God. Two exam students in the one house. Not a lesson online in sight. Yet they're supposed, they were supposed to be back in school last Thursday. What a joke. And that's from Rob in Dunmanway. So do I take it some schools are really getting their act together with this remote learning and doing online classes and then other schools don't seem to be doing anything. I I can't. We're getting really mixed reports in today and it wasn't that they didn't know it was coming. They did. They certainly did. I think, you know, as soon as we started to see the numbers increase at the end of December, there was question marks over the schools reopening and then certainly Late in December, we knew they weren't going to reopen until today. And then last week, the news came through that they wouldn't be opening. They'd be going to remote learning. And you would have thought that schools had learned so much about remote learning from the first lockdown. 
when schools were closed from March right through to uh, June. So I'm disappointed to hear that some schools really, for whatever reason, don't seem to have their act together when it comes to uh, remote learning. Okay, some of your WhatsApps in to us. Uh, Patricia, you may think that the virus, this is from Jim, oh, this is interesting, you may think the virus is spreading like silage. Well, I can tell you, Jim here, having no water with two days is no contest. Just wait for the pipes to thaw out, I've been told. Last night, we got back our water, but no thanks to Irish Water. We had a great excuse to say, get a plumber, your pipe must be frozen. We don't have any reports of any burst pipe in your area. Now, I paid €900 to run a new water pipe from my meter into my house two years ago because back then, when my water pipe froze... I got the same story every time I contacted Irish Water. It's a waste of time telling Irish Water it's not my fault, it's your problem uh, because the supply to your house is not frozen, it's frozen on your side, so fix it. I did fix it, cost me €900. Don't waste your time calling Irish Water. I'll let the tap run all night in future. So that we would have water, said Jim, yeah. And what a waste of water then that will be. 1850 Martin in West Cork says Patricia and John Paul I think the government should make a donation to the Society of St Vincent de Paul give them millions to help alleviate the financial stress and hardship that's now on the Irish people and is going to be on the Irish people for the foreseeable future thanking you that is from uh, Martin and a listener looking for help spotted this in the last hour Hi Patricia wondering if any of your listeners could help please I've got silver spoons now they're obviously solid silver gorgeous solid silver spoons I soaked them in bleach to try to brighten them but I've made them worse oh any way to get them back shiny anew again says Margaret so advice please have you silver spoons in your house how can our Margaret return them to their glory days but putting the bleach on certainly was not a good idea if anyone has tips or advice please for the polishing of silver now I love to polish silver items it's kind of something I find very relaxing and I love to see our brass as something else I love to polish and I love getting something that's really really hasn't been cleaned in a long time and then take a before and after photograph great sense of satisfaction but I just worry about silver spoons can you use the normal products you would use for polishing, say, you know, silver jewellery? Because I'm thinking the spoon has to go into somebody's mouth. Anyway, if anybody can offer advice to Margaret, somebody in the know has got to be listening. How can Margaret return her silver spoons back sparkling into their glory days? And as I say, I do remind you that she did put them in bleach thinking that would brighten them but she said it's actually made them worse your advice please 1850 John Paul taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council supporting businesses supporting communities serving Cork visit corkcoco.ie Just one item on the Community Diary today and it's to remind you that the staff of Daily Industrial Supply Company They're aiming to collectively run, walk, cycle, hike and swim 1,200 kilometres during this, the month of January. It's an effort to raise money for the Cork Simon community and you can donate to their Just Giving page. If you have anything that you would like us to include on our future community diaries, you can send it in by email to info at c103.ie. Cork Today on C103. With McCroom Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See McCroomMotors.com.
Now, a number of people for our listener who has the problem with the silver spoons, soak them in bleach to brighten them up, but that uh, didn't work. We have a number of people mentioning the same product, which is a product called uh, Silvio, S-I-L-V-I-O, tell that woman uh, to the silver spoons, clean them with Silvio and then hand wash and dry them before use. Yeah, that's what I was worried about, the spoons would be going into people's mouths if you used, you know, that product that you can you can use to polish up silver jewellery. I'd just be afraid, but of course, if you wash them afterwards and it will make them nice and shiny. number of people are saying uh, that. Uh, silver polish trick says this WhatsApper. A quarter of baking soda, two tablespoons of water is, a qu- is that a quarter? A quarter of a cup of baking soda, two tablespoons of water, make a paste, use a soft paste and rub rinse with water and that would be a very natural way of doing it actually somebody else is saying that uh, Helen says tell her to try bread soda it is brilliant for cleaning anything Hi I spilt Clorox bleach on some of my silverware and it's stained tarnished and damaged the silverware is there any means of restoring my silverware to its original condition Ooh. and the advice uh, the, okay that was the question that this person put in and the advice is if it's sterling silver enough rubbing with silver polish will eventually restore it if it's silver plated you may have damaged it beyond repair alright that's somebody that went for professional advice but anyway most people are saying that the silver uh, certainly works really well but just clean it afterwards and your silver will be fine Patricia please uh, tell people don't play politics with this virus now as some Fine Gael people seem to be doing remember that they are in government that's it. The politicians are in government, but it's we the people that don't abide by the rules. That's where the problem lies. And listen to this story for somebody or, or a group of people who certainly didn't abide by the rules. A 50th birthday party was held in my town over Christmas. The majority of the party have now tested positive for COVID-19. These people have been carrying on with their day-to-day business as if nothing was wrong. One even continued with home help hours, even though her daughter had tested to positive. Now that really I have to say absolutely frightens the life out of me because if the daughter tested positive now if she's not living with the daughter that's fine but if she's living with the daughter and she would have been identified as a close contact she should be restricting her movement and certainly shouldn't be out doing home help duties. John Imalo says we need to start vaccinating more people. How come some hospitals at the weekend did not get the vaccine? One of them included is Mallow General Hospital. Why are we so slow in this country at doing vaccinations? Is it time to hand it over to private hospitals and let them administer it if the HSE are not capable of carrying it out because that's the feeling John in Mallow has at the moment. And then Doreen says, I'm a frontline worker and my neighbour uses a private healthcare company to look after her mother. Where I work, I'm tested every 10 days to make sure that I don't have COVID-19. But not one member of my neighbour's private healthcare team not one have been tested yet. They leave it up to the home health person if they feel unwell not to come in. But if you ask some of those home helps, would you turn up, say, for example, with a sore throat, a bit of a scratchy throat, maybe a slight headache? They would. Why? Because otherwise they will lose their hours and they don't get paid. Whoa. 
Isn't that a worry? 1850-333-103. Eddie said so many politicians wanted pubs to reopen, maternity wards to allow fathers to come in. What if all that had been left alone? Surely our figures would not be impacted by everything, says Eddie. We opened up too uh, soon. 1850-333-103. Okay, I'm going to... There's a lot of WhatsApps, but I need to check them all out um, uh, first. Uh, and I want to get on to Annalise because I can see a lot of questions coming in for Annalise. But Joan has just been on to say, I found a little girl's watch on the main street in Mallow in the run-up to Christmas. It was on the 23rd of December and would like to return it to the owner. And obviously we have Joan's contact details here. Did anybody lose... Does that story ring a bell with anyone? Did any little girl lose a watch on Main Street in Mallow on the 23rd of December? If so, as I say, we have Joan's contact details here. She's looking after it and she really would like to get it back to the child that lost it. 1850 Let's take a break and we are back having your questions answered by Annalise Trissell. Court today on C103. With McCroom Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See McCroomMotors.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C1. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Oh, three.
and uh, text in to say congratulations to the students of Colosh de Trassa, their teachers who did so well in the BT Young Scientists exhibition when the winners were announced last Friday. Well done from Mary. And actually, I should have kicked off the programme by congratulating all of the Cork students who did so well in the BT Young Scientists exhibition and in particular, a young gentleman by the name of Greg Tarr who goes to Bandon Grammar School and he won the overall prize. Uh, He took away the top prize in the Young Scientists exhibition uh, with his project titled Towards deep fake detection. I actually, when it was announced that Greg had won the overall prize, I, I, I had no idea what it was about. And then when I looked into it, it's, uh, it's to do with people, you know, taking your image and making it look like you say and do uh, other things which you actually don't. And it's really, really dangerous. So it was an amazing project. But congratulations to uh, Greg Tarr on winning that top prize and indeed uh, to all of the students and those students at Colossal Trassa and schools throughout Cork City and County. There was a lot of prizes at picked up this year. As always, we always do remarkably well in that competition. We've been talking about rural broadband and the rural divide when it comes to uh, remote learning. I know some students this morning were able to log on and get online classes and other students having to hope because their Wi-Fi isn't strong enough. Patricia, with regard to rural broadband, I'm glad to report that Aragon GAA were able to host a very successful online AGM yesterday club is also continuing to stage its weekly lotto draw online and that's from John O'Hearn, the PRO of Aragon GAA uh, well done and keep up the great work John, thank you for that and when I mentioned when we were looking to try to solve the problem of the silver spoons for the lady who's trying to polish them and I was saying that I like to polish, I find it quite relaxing Sheila says, Patricia do you want a lovely hour or two of relaxation therapy? If so, I have loads of brass and silver that's as black as the ace of spades I hate polishing it says Sheila if I lived near you I'd be over like a flash Sheila thank you for that 1850 let's turn our attention to Annalise Drussell of the Health Hub Times Square in Balancolic who joins me to answer all of your questions good afternoon to Annalise good afternoon Patricia and you're keeping well very well thank good. you good good let's get straight in lots of questions in for you question for Annalise please and actually there's I saw a WhatsApp in with a similar question what would you recommend for reoccurring episodes of gout which by all accounts is extremely painful very painful so um, it can be a genetic condition Patricia and it's also associated with diet it used to be called the rich man's disease in the olden days because the rich men were the only ones who could afford to drink plenty beer and wine and eat lots of meat so um, diet wise it can come from a diet that's very high in purines so if you do a google of the list of purine rich foods it'll come up with the list of foods that you probably should avoid if you're certainly fully if you're in the middle of an attack but definitely limit in terms of maintenance. Um, So those foods would include things like meats, fish, beer and wine, the ones I've mentioned, plus a few more, and you'll get those online. But the the best thing in terms of prevention, and I've seen the results of it throughout the years here with my own customers, is to have a daily glass of tart cherry juice. So it has to be the sour Montmorency cherry, and to have a glass of that every day. And the cherry juice can remove the uric acid buildup in the blood. Now, the uric acid, if it builds up to a certain level, will start to crystallize. And that's where it gets very painful with gout because it can crystallize in between the joints, particularly of the fingers and the big toe is always the first place for most people. And that can be, as you can imagine, crystals between your joints, excruciatingly painful. So if you're in the middle of a flare-up, the best thing is probably the Dr. Delish Claire. Um, there's, she does a, a, 
a herbal blend that I think is musculo joint support, I think is the name of it. But um, I have it here in the shop and, we, and she'll also sell it on her online shop. And that's very good in terms of the inflammation. And take a glass of cherry juice at least three times a day and that's for treatment. And then for maintenance, you should be fine with the cherry juice. Okay, thank you for that. Hi, could you, Annelise, what's the name of the tablets for overactive bladder that you mentioned a couple of weeks ago from a Mallow listener? Yes, so the only company that I know in Ireland that do it are Viridian and it is the Organic Icelandic um, Angelica Root Extract. So that's Angelica, which we'd actually often have used for baking in the past. Mm. So it's the root of the Angelica plant. and I mean, it does grow in the hedgerows here in Ireland. So it's the Icelandic Angelica Root Extract and it takes about eight weeks really to see a benefit. Here's an interesting one from Meg. Help please. A person on a liquid medical diet is lacking in phosphate. How to replace it naturally? Lacking in phosphate. Um, I suppose, yeah, that, I mean, there should be, uh, is it potassium possibly, Patricia, as opposed to phosphate? Maybe it's potassium. It's, it's come in as phosphate. But I then think, sometimes with predictive text, it could be. I think potassium would be more like it. You can actually get potassium supplements in the, um, in the health shop. So you could get something like that. Make sure you get a capsule that can be opened up and added to the liquid. Or the other thing is celery juice is a fantastic source of potassium. So you could juice celery and put that in with the liquid diet as well. Okay. WhatsApps, a lot of WhatsApps in. Hi, uh, Patricia. Happy New Year to you and Annalise. Many happy returns. Just wondering if Annalise could offer advice regarding the best way to figure out if I have food intolerance or is it a food allergy? My stomach can be very sensitive, rumbling a lot even after eating and then I have bloating. I've done a celiac blood test and it was negative. I definitely feel it's a food item that's just not suiting me, but I'm not sure how to go about figuring out which food it is. Many thanks in advance. Yeah, there's a couple of ways you can do it, Patricia. The first and cheapest way, of course, is the elimination diet, and that is to take the food out uh, for a period of at least two weeks. You have to be very strict and not slip up. So if you suspect gluten is the cause of the problem, cut it out for two weeks and then wake up on the morning of the 15th day and have a huge big fat slice of toast or bread. And if you have an intolerance, you should have felt better throughout the two weeks. And then when you put it back in, you should get, sometimes people actually get quite an extreme reaction. So you might get a pain or you might, um, you know, almost within the space of an hour or two, develop a very bloated stomach or a lot of wind. Some people might end up running to the loo. It can be very uh, different for different people, but often the, the result can be quite extreme after taking it out. The other way to do it, and this is probably the simplest and most accurate way, is to do a food intolerance test. So um, the ones that I would do for my clients, and I I can do them here in the shop, are a blood test. And what it's looking for is it's looking for an immune response to your food. So it's looking to see, is your immune system looking at this food and raising a reaction? So there are intolerance immune responses as opposed to allergy. The intolerance are generally much harder to pin down because an allergy, you'll notice within the space of eating the food. And the ones that I do here, the results, mostly the foods that come up would be egg, would be number one. Dairy is quite common. Gluten less common than you would think. Pea comes up quite a lot as well. So they would probably, um, nuts can come up quite a bit as well. They'd probably be the ones that come up. At least one of those would come up for nearly every test I do. But actually egg comes up for probably 50% of the tests I do. So it's the first thing to look at.
Yeah. Yeah, and we all we all love love our eggs. I I did that exclusion um for some reason onions. I don't know why and I had onions I suppose in nearly everything I was cooking uh, and I've completely excluded them. And recently I tried just to see oh, would I be able to and I was so unwell. Really? Yeah, really felt unwell after. Because, um, the, with the onions, they're very high in a particular kind of fi- a fibre called a fructooligosaccharide, FOS. And for a lot of people with IBS, they're put on a FODMAP diet that excludes those particular fibres. Because for some people, it seems to feed a certain type of bacteria in the gut that causes a huge amount of bloating, cramping and pain. Mm. So that probably is the issue with you. So it's not necessarily that your immune system is reacting there, Patricia, but probably that the composition of the gut bacteria um, are not allowing you to tolerate onions. A lot of people would get heartburn from things like tomatoes, pepper. They, um, so they would be different than a food um, a, a, an immune response. Some people then just can't digest certain foods. So for a lot of people, high protein foods are hard to digest and they would cause bloating. And, and yeah, and it's trial and error trying to work out what it is and, and, and isn't. But once you know what it is, then just avoid. Avoid. Just completely avoid. avoid. Yeah. Uh, hi, uh, Annalise, question for you. My son is 23 and his hair is starting to thin. He's distressed about hair loss at such a young age. Could this be hereditary? His dad started to lose his hair in his mid-twenties. Any advice appreciated? Oh, yeah. That, that's it is hereditary, isn't it? In the modern age with all of the um, social media and pictures they're yeah. constantly having to post. So if his dad... Now, actually, generally, hair is passed down the maternal gene. So the gene for your hair comes from your mother's side, mostly. So if you wanted to see what your hair was, what your hair is going to be like, look at your mother's brothers is generally the rule of thumb. But it is possible in this case. It is just genetic. Now, if they want, if you wanted to try a supplement, I do see very good results with Norcrin. Um, it's very good for hormonal-related hair loss or stress-related hair loss. Um, and that's it's better for where your hair is thinning on your head as opposed to quality of it is poor. It's better when you actually notice that visibly your scalp is starting to show through. So he could certainly try um, a three-month program of that. There is also a medical um, approach, Patricia. Regain, I think, is or spelled R-E-G-A-I-N-E. You probably need a prescription for it from the doctor. And I think it's um, a, a topical product that you put on and it is probably one of the only ones that does work. All the other topical products are a waste of your money. Yeah, and yeah, and you could spend a fortune on it. Could you please ask Annalise, what is the best way to take psyllium husk, powder or capsules? So powder is probably always the best way to take anything really because it's going to save you a lot of money. You're going to pay for the capsules for the process of encapsulation. So take it as a powder. I put it onto my breakfast cereal, Patricia. I usually put it into um, my porridge or if I was having a smoothie, I'd put it into that. Psyllium husk works very well as a soluble fibre. So it helps to kind of make the stool very smooth and gentle. It can also bring together a very... Um, loose stool so it can be good for diarrhea as well so great for the gut and it feeds the good bacteria so putting it onto your breakfast cereal mixing it into a yogurt some people like to mix it up with a bit of water and drink it it goes very very gloopy so that's the difficulty with getting it so if you can't take the powder capsules are fine you're just and is, does it, it taste does it I don't think it tastes no. of anything no, no okay. it's fairly tasteless and it's very well tolerated as well you know it doesn't cause bloating and um, wind generally okay and available in health shops I take it is it most health shops will have it, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, hi, Annalise. Could you recommend a good vitamin? I had a heart attack a few months ago, but I'm still feeling extremely fatigued. Also finding it hard to get out to walk as I feel pressure on my chest. 
Okay, so now this might be nothing to do with needing a multivitamin or a tonic really at all. And you need to be quite careful after with heart because if you're on a blood thinner, lots of things are contraindicated for you. So um, it can take time to recuperate after heart surgery. Um, a general multi, you, things I, to look out for really are you can't take anything that thins the blood or you can't take anything that will clot the blood. So you need to avoid vitamin K. Um, you also need to avoid fish oils, which thin the blood, turmeric, um, coenzyme Q10. Now, one of the reasons, uh, the reason I say coenzyme Q10 there as well, Patricia, is that if you're on a statin, which I think you probably are after being on, um, having heart surgery, you are probably, that statin drug will keep your cholesterol down, but it also blocks your ability to make coenzyme Q10. And that is why you would feel particularly tired. Your muscles might feel weak and you may get a bit of heart pain when you're trying to do exercise. It could be that you are now deficient in Q10. You better ask your doctor if you're on a blood thinner to see if you can take it. And I'd suggest taking it for a month and see do you feel a lot better. If you feel better, you know that that's the reason. If you feel no better, it's not the reason. And then maybe you need to look at the possibility of of angina where the muscle is cramping slightly and your cells are not getting enough oxygen. Okay, Janice Gibberine is suffering severe heartburn. What would you recommend? So, um, now, I don't know if John is taking an acid uh, tablet, an antacid tablet, but the natural antacid is, um, there's a couple of things he could try here. So, slippery elm is very good to protect the stomach and the esophagus against the effect of acid, which is released when you eat. So, you can take it as a powder or you can take it as a capsule, but you need to take it before you eat so that your whole stomach lining is, is kind of covered and coated by this lovely slippery elm for protection. The other thing that works very well is a supplement called Zinc Carnosin. That's spelled C-A-R-N-O-Z-I-N. Now, that's been out of stock for a couple of months, so you might find it difficult to get. But that can tighten up the little valve at the top of the stomach to prevent the acid from actually um, being refluxed up. And then the third thing that can work very well is a herb called Centaurium. It's spelled C-E-N-T-A-U-R-I-U-M. And this can help balance acid in a stomach. And again, you take it before every meal. So any good health shop will have all of those. When you were talking about food intolerance a minute ago, a listener said, I'm just checking, did Annalise mention that people are intolerant to tea? Now, that would be not so so much intolerant, but maybe tea doesn't suit them. Tea is very, very high in tannic acid, Patricia. So if your stomach is acidic, certain foods may not suit you. Tea would be one, tomatoes, oranges lemons, any of those that can kind of burn the stomach if there's any inflammation. So I would notice a lot of people get a very bad feeling of nausea after their morning cup of tea. That always indicates to me there's a bit of inflammation in the stomach and it's just too acidic for them. Okay. Is taking vitamin K2 dangerous with regards to blood clotting? As there's a history of stroke in my family, I have osteoporosis and was recommended that I take it together with vitamin D3. Your advice would be much appreciated. Yeah, so vitamin K2 is a lovely one to take for bones because it helps get the calcium actually onto the bone itself. It's different from vitamin K1. Vitamin K1 is the vitamin that's involved in blood clotting. Vitamin K2 is not involved in blood clotting, so is safe. But you should just pay attention that, you know, if you notice you cut yourself and your blood is, you know, doesn't flow if it's very, very sticky, that could be a concern not necessarily down to taking the vitamin K2, but for other reasons that might be linked with the risk of stroke. Pat suffering from ulcer colitis uh, and what is wondering what herbs you would suggest using. So ulcerative colitis, Patricia, is actually an autoimmune disease. So what happens here 
is that the immune system itself has started attacking the um, the colon and is causing ulceration in the colon for that reason. So there is very it's very complex because it's not really about the colon it's also about the immune system and modulating the immune system and for a lot of people who have ulcerative colitis they have a, um, there has been studies shown that they have been exposed to a particular kind of bacteria called Yersinia some people would develop it after mild IBS in their life um, some people have developed it after a holiday abroad possibly where they've picked up a parasite so um, there is one supplement. I'm trying to think of the one-size-fits-all approach here. There is one supplement that I find works well, and that is Nature's Plus GI Wellness Powder. So it's a kind of a total health, um, a gut health wellness supplement that has a lot of different things in there for things, something like ulcerative colitis. But you really also need to look at the immune and see what's stimulating the immune response and try and remove the drivers of inflammation for ulcerative colitis. So I'd recommend an appointment with a nutritional therapist. Okay, Magnesium Gronia wants to know, what is magnesium good for? She's taking natural magnesium 365. So now magnesium got very fashionable for a while, Patricia. A lot of people say that it gives them a better sleep at night. It makes them feel more energy. Some people take it for stress and anxiety. But magnesium is a mineral that is probably has a role to play in at least four to 500 different metabolic processes in our body. So it is a very important one. Now, it can be difficult enough to be very deficient in magnesium if you've got a good diet. But if your diet is a bit low and maybe the green leafy vegetables possible that you could be a small bit low magnesium and calcium both compete for absorption so if someone wants to take a high dose i always recommend they take it at night time so that the body it doesn't compete you know with calcium during the day so shouldn't affect the bones and i know with the magnesium 365 you absolutely 100 percent have to mix it with boiling water otherwise it can have quite a strong laxative effect and um, it doesn't become unless you, you, you mix it with boiling water. You can top it up with cold. But there are lots of other different magnesiums. And if you want to take it long term, I would suggest taking it together with calcium to make sure you're not pushing calcium out. Um, a magnesium biglycinate is better for sleep because the, the glycine component of that is very good for our sleep hormones. And um, magnesium can also be very good for leg cramping and restless legs. Michelle wants to know, is there any natural health uh, treatments that would help with the healing of a fractured rib? Yes, so one thing you wouldn't think about when you break your bone actually is vitamin C, but it's really important because we have a collagen matrix that the uh, calcium is actually laid down upon and that keeps the bone from becoming too brittle. It gives it elasticity. So I would definitely recommend that you take a vitamin C supplement. Now, calcium is generally easy to get in your diet and you probably are getting enough if you're eating a lot of green leafy vegetables, nuts and seeds, if you're taking dairy products like milk and yogurt. But if you feel that you're not, I would maybe take for the space of six weeks while the bone is healing, I would take a supplement with maybe some calcium, vitamin D and magnesium in there. Um, Your health shop will get you a good one where there isn't too much calcium, but there's all the other bits and components that help build healthy bone. And I broke my uh, wrist a couple of months, a couple of years ago, Patricia, when people fell on me in the tube station um, on the escalator. And I took Dr. Delish Clare's uh, bone set tea and my I took my cast off after five weeks and I was well well done well done okay and Kathleen Atlanta-Kilty wants to know when it is your turn will you take the vaccine Kathleen is a bit nervous about it um, it's a difficult question to answer I always think in life uh, Patricia you have to do risk versus benefit um, this is probably one of the first vaccines 
using the messenger RNA, but maybe it's going to be a scientific breakthrough for vaccines for the future. We don't know yet. Um, I think if your risk is high, you should definitely consider getting it. Um, And for a lot of people whose risk is low, they're vaccinating millions of people around the world. So we'll have a pretty good idea if it's safe by the time it comes to our turn. But at the moment, you're, you're steering towards getting it? Um, at the, well, I won't. I'll be at the bottom of the list, yeah. Patricia. But I certainly will be recommending for my parents to get it. Yeah. Well done, well done. Okay, we leave it there. Thank you for that. Thanks, Patricia. And uh, thanks uh, for joining us. That is Annelise Drissel of the Health Hub Times Square in uh, Balancolic, answering all of your nutritional questions uh, today. All right, that's where we leave you for today. My thanks to uh, John Paul. And thank you to everybody who's contributed to the programme today. It's been really, really busy. Our apologies if we didn't get to all of your texts and uh, comments. But as always, we do read them when we go off air. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. And uh, I'm back with you tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. Have a good afternoon. And more importantly, stay safe. Court today on C103 with McCroom Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See McCroomMotors.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade.